I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live from Radio Row. We made it here to Vegas, Sam. We did. Media Row. Media Row. Not radio anymore. Oh, it's media. Yeah, media. we all should be podcasting. Because we're row. videoing this. You know? Yeah, we are. It is uh, Media Row here over in Vegas. So uh, always fun to be here. And, you know, been head nodding a lot of people that I've met through the years, but don't exactly remember who they are. That's yeah, what we've been doing that's, here. That's what most of this week is. Um, a lot it, of awkward handshakes and half hugs a lot right. of that going on here it's in mandalay bay right yes. and and i thought it's all in the one room it's all in one casino so it'll be close together how far how much walking could there be in mandalay bay yeah turns Me, out about seventeen thousand miles we've been navigating through this labyrinth that is right, a couple out. buildings in vegas let's find out how many steps we've taken the people want to know they how do. long you've been uh, you assured me there'd be little walking here day. i did I'm not having a good week in terms of, like, accurate predictions. So I far. am, though, with wing count. My wing count is up around 20, and I've been assured that we're going to get free wings here every day at 11 and 2 Pacific really? time. Every single day. So um, I will be partaking in those wings every single day at 11 and 2. I think that's the goal. There's some free catfish over there. Because the next year's Super Bowl is in Nolens. No, so there's always a next year I Super Bowl wrap, yeah, yeah. and they're like giving you a little taste of next year. I've it's been great. saying that one of the things we should be doing this week is having like a, a some sort of little video that just is like a calorie counter for what you've consumed, because yeah. I think it would already be well over ten thousand calories. Thank you. And just keeps going up. Yeah, I'm getting ready for an on-location wedding in Mexico next month. I'm trying not to look that big, but uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a fascinating, like, it's so, an interesting balance between the calories going up and the steps going up, and who knows which one's winning out. We're going we're gonna to balance them out. So uh, coming up today, we're going to talk a little Drake May, UNC quarterback. We're starting a little draft talk. There's, uh, there's a buzz around the NFL and the, particularly the draft community about Drake May, who seems to be locked in at number two overall, maybe not be in there. And we're going to have that coincide with Lance Zerline's mock draft, which uh, does, maybe doesn't have him at number two. Yeah. You have over 11,000 steps here today. Already at 11,000. And look, so we've got a baseline of basically not moving. And then yesterday with the airport, oh, yeah, it was quite a lot. And now today we're spiking to the moon. Yeah, well done. Thanks. So uh, a lot of moving over here. We're having a lot of fun. Uh, you're on Jim Rome here today. I was. I'll it's also, on. by the way, people might not know, it's freezing cold in Vegas. Yeah. It's cold and rainy outside. Yeah, it's not great. Not great weather for uh, for Super Bowl week. So we're going to talk a little Drake May. We're going to talk a little NFL draft. But first, don't forget, the question is 2024, bringing exciting or unexpected changes to your life. Here's a secret weapon to help you face those challenges with more confidence. It's a great term life insurance policy. That's right. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to protect your family's financial future so you can focus on what's ahead, knowing your family is protected if something else unexpected happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. 
It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting health questions. All right, we got a lot going on here. Uh, Dr. Eric Eager's running around here. The doctor. Um, I would say rest in peace, but I see him alive and well over here. Mm. Um, he might crash the show tomorrow, I guess, in the nice. morning when we record. Okay. Um, and then we're recording this. This is Tuesday show. On Wednesday, we will record from Circa. Yep. I had at least one person reach out in the DMs. I'll get back to you. We, we will hang around Circa. We're going to record there at 4 Pacific time, Circa Sportsbook. We'll record our Thursday show on Wednesday afternoon at 4. So if you want to be there, hang out. We've got like a cabana and the whole deal, Yeah. I guess. So uh, you can come hang out after the show. You know, we'll probably go hour, hour and a half. We're going to have Brad and Trevor on the show. And um, yeah, if anybody's in town and wants to hang out Wednesday afternoon around 5, 5.30 Pacific time, come hang out over at Circa. All right. All right, man, let's talk Drake May. You've, you've watched a little Drake May. I think you're even lower on you're, you. You haven't loved Drake May. Right. UNC quarterback. Yes. And we're getting this buzz around the NFL. As, as mock drafts come out, the mock drafts are sometimes a little bit of the mock drafters' evaluations and a little bit of what they hear. And the most recent mock that we're going to cover today is Lance Zerline from NFL.com. Lance has Jaden Daniels going number two to the Washington Commanders. And I believe it's in part because – He's a little either either he's a little lower on Drake May, he's hearing more negative type of buzz, or he's not the lock at number two, or a little combination of both. He's got Drake May actually going at five to the Falcons who trade up in this mock. Yeah, and and I think this is now the second big mock. Was it? I think it was Jeremiah's mock. No, maybe it was Mel Kiper that had them flipped as well. That yeah, had Mel Jane had Daniels. them flipped. Yeah, yeah. and it, and we were saying when we sort of ran through those top tens that. You know, sometimes Mel Kuyper in particular likes to put these things out as sort of discussion points, right? Like, yeah. hey, look, we should be talking about this more. Right. And we were saying that's a good thing because I think that is a conversation that should be being had. Maybe not, I'm not, I wasn't coming at it from the Jaden Daniels side of things, but the more I watched of Drake May, the more I was like, I can see why people don't love this, right? I can see why we would be getting questions about is he really that top elite prospect and you know the more you watch like there's quite a lot of negative in here the positive is great the positive is obvious and we're in this world now where it's like how much do you weigh one versus the other <laughs> and that's getting harder as the years go by but there's a lot of negative on drake may's tape and even if you just watch say tez walker tape right the number of misses or not good throws from drake may is significant yeah i mean those I will say that was so, those were some of my early notes coming into this season with May. It to me it felt like footwork issues, just straight footwork issues. You know, he's going to miss a little swing pass or a little stick route. It's some of the easy stuff he tended to miss. And then, but I think my my analysis coming out of that though was he's still really young. And last year he was a redshirt freshman, right? Uh, in 2022, he's only had two years starting. He's still only 21 years old. I don't always use the age as, a, as an excuse or even a, an explainer because it doesn't always mean you're, you're going to get better. Right. But I think in the Drake May, Jaden Daniels discussion, it's an interesting one because when we saw Jaden Daniels at, say, 21 years old at Arizona State, nobody would thought he was going to be a future you know, top yeah. three-round pick. You know, he was 
he had teammates at Arizona State who didn't like him. They were saying good riddance, whatever. And he goes to LSU and he has a really nice 2022 and then an elite 2023 season. My point is, with May, I think the I think the fact that he's 21, two years as a starter, I think he can clean up some of those issues. I think a lot of them are foot, footwork related, and he can get better there. I think he's got all the tools to succeed. And when you compare him to Daniels directly, Daniels as a 23-year-old last year in the SEC has that 94.7 grade, the Heisman season, unstoppable as a runner, breaks the stat sheet. But I think that stuff matters when you compare in those two players. Well, it becomes, it's like how much, how important is seeing it versus assuming he'll get to that, right? Yeah. Like with Daniels, the fact that he's older meant that we got to see that year, and now that's what we can judge him on. Whereas with May, it's like, we don't know that he can get to that level yet. We assume he can because he's young and his, the rest of his game is so good and the tools are all there. But now you have to project and you have to say, you know, in the NFL, with these tools, with the experience, with the growth and the age and the development and the maturity, does he get to that spot? Or does he get ahead of that spot? But that's now the conversation, right? It's, it's projecting what he can be more than sort of being sure what he is right now and what he is right now being good enough to to be that guy yeah and I'm not just guessing on May I mean I think everything else he's done is really good you know PFF grade of 91.6 in 2022 in his first year as a starter 90.7 last year I know people soured on May a little bit down the stretch uh, Clemson NC State games but I mean I still think he's really good I really think May's feel in the middle of the field is unbelievable I think the way he throws the ball in between the numbers his touch his accuracy, um, he can throw a seam with zip, he, he can layer it. I feel like he's he's unbelievable at that part of the field. I want to see him do better throwing the ball outside the numbers, a little bit more touch on deep balls. Um, he's flashed a little bit of that uh, outside the pocket magic that you I think you at least want to see. We don't want to build a whole case right. off that, but you want to see it. I think May has shown all that. I mean, to me, May's still the guy at two. Um, it's just interesting to me that there's so many people around the NFL maybe saying that's not going to be that's not locked in, you know. The underlying numbers across the board are really good, right? Like even with whatever flaws we're talking about being factored in, as you said, his PFF grade has been 91.5, 90.6. Now those aren't um, insanely good, right? We saw Kyla Murray, Baker Mayfield, those start pushing 93, 94, 95 even. So it's not at that level, but it is very good. Um, and even things like, you know, big time throw rate is extremely high. Turnover worthy play rate, play rate is pretty low. Adjusted completion rate is good. Uh, the only area you can find where the numbers are kind of weak is, I think, some ball location stuff, and that does show up. But even with all that put together, it's still more than good enough to be getting talked about as a really good prospect, particularly when you factor in prototypical height, prototypical size, prototypical arm, better athleticism than he's going to get given credit for because of the way he looks, but he can definitely move. Um, so I think all the tools are there and the level of play is already really good. We're not talking about a total project who, you know, can't hit anything, is wildly inaccurate and doesn't have all this kind of stuff. We just think there's the capacity for him to do that. We're most of the way there. It's just that the flaws are maybe bigger than they looked if you just took a surface level you know, quick run through his tape. Yep, it's all there. The more you watch, the more it's like, ah, there's some more problems than I would have liked, but I don't think they're disqualifying. So in the coming weeks, we'll get into more of our QB rankings and wide receiver rankings. Uh, the Jaden Daniels move, I'm not ready to put him 
certainly not above Drake May. I don't even know if I would want to take him at three or four just yet. I think there are some concerns to me, about Daniels. Yeah. He was a dynamic playmaker, absolutely a dynamic, and makes some incredible throws. Um, slot fade, outstanding, throws outside the numbers really well. I'm not sure any of the Drake May, like the negatives, are even enough to take him away from both two as QB2 and the number two overall pick. To me, all it did was separated Caleb Williams and Drake May. Like, I think yeah. going into the process, that was sort of the conversation, right? Caleb Williams has been the presumptive number one for a long time, but we've been saying there are going to be people that have Drake May number one, not Caleb Williams, in large part because of the Caleb Williams negatives, right? The, and most of that is sort of, it's the intangible stuff. Oh, he paints his nails. Oh, he cried. Oh, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was but on the, the field, too. He struggled under pressure. He's kept... Kept Sometimes. turning the ball yeah. over but down anyway, the stretch. There were going to be people that had Drake May number one. To me, when you start, the more you dive into the tape, the more it becomes pretty clear, I think, that it is Caleb Williams number one, and then there's there's a gap. Yeah. And maybe there's the, maybe Drake May is the next guy, and there's a clear number two, but there is a gap, I think. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Lance's mock draft. It's over at NFL.com. Search Lance Zerline. We've had him on, friend of the show. We've had him on here before. Saw him down there at the Senior Bowl last week, talking ball a little bit. Um, he did go Caleb Williams, number one of the Bears. Jaden Daniels, number two to Washington. Drake May ends up going number five to uh, Zach Robinson's Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta. A trade up by the Falcons. Go get Drake May. I mean, I think when we get to the draft, the big story. So one of the stories that's coming out now, will the Bears trade down to two? Right. And Washington go to one to go get Caleb Williams. There's the Cliff Kingsbury connection right. at OC now. There's just the, the regional connection to Caleb Williams. That's going to be a big story, and then I think the rest of the top ten, the teams that need quarterbacks, the Patriots at three, the Falcons, uh, the, t- uh, the who else here, the Vikings at 11, the Broncos at 12, Raiders again. Will those teams be trading up? Will there be some movement? I think at least one of those QB needy teams does make a move in this particular mock. Seeing the Falcons go to five to get May, I think, is an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers obviously, or the, the Falcons rather, obviously need a quarterback. Um, the big question for them is going to be do they get it before the draft at all? Like, right. are they the team that Kirk Cousins goes to? Do they find another domino that they're happy with in the QB market, the veteran QB market? Or do they get to the draft? If they do, they, I think, have to do something aggressive to go get a quarterback. This feels like it would be a perfect scenario for them if they let it get to this stage. Yeah. We didn't get a quarterback veteran. We need something in the draft. To only have to go to five and get Drake May feels like a great result for them, right? Yes. Like, if somebody loves Jaden Daniels, if, if Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels are one-two, you don't have to get up that high. You only have to get to five, and you end up getting Drake May. I mean, we haven't – I certainly haven't texted him, but I feel like Zach would love that, you know? <laughs> we feel like he would. We'll see. Uh, i got to tell you about DraftKings, the leader in fantasy sports, just dropped a brand-new fantasy app, Pick 6. Pick 6 is the newest way for you to get in on the fantasy football action with DraftKings. Just pick between two and six NFL players and choose if they're going to have more or less of a stat. For example, will a player have more or less than 100 rushing yards or will a player have more than one touchdown? Track your lineup and compete against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. So download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now and sign up with code PFF. That's code PFF only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Valid only in states where DraftKings Pick 6 operates. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, please visit dkng.com slash pick six states void were prohibited see terms at pick six dot draftkings.com 
Um, other interesting moves here in Lance's mock draft. At number three, the New England Patriots team, again, quarterback needy in a big debate in New England is, you know, do you take a Marvin Harrison Jr., get that quote-unquote generational wide receiver and figure out quarterback later? Yeah. They do that in this particular mock draft. And then... And or they were the Kirk Cousins team. New England. Yeah. Or they, yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins... I just use Kirk Cousins as the veteran quarterback answer. Because there's no other real I mean, veteran out there that you're gonna that you're gonna say we can get this guy and compete with, right? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, is you know, is Russ terminal? Could you compete with Russ? Is he free? He will be. Yet. I'm just saying with what we have right now. Um, in this mock draft, though, the New, the New England Patriots trade back into the first round and pick Bo Nix yeah. at pick 30. I did predict that Bo Nix would be getting more top 10 hype coming out of the Senior Bowl. I think more people, I think he, he had an uneven performance where that wasn't the case. Right. So in this particular idea, Patriots trade with the Ravens into uh, into the first round at number 30 and get Bo Nix. I mean, I'm somewhat intrigued by the idea of a Marvin Harrison Jr. or a trade down and then getting the quarterback late first again with a trade up or into the second round. The trading back into the first for a quarterback thing doesn't have a great track record. They, the Ravens Jackson. did it for Lamar, Lamar, and that's the one that I can think of that was sort of pretty successful. Most of the other ones, the, you know, there seems to be more of a reason when they were where they were falling where you thought it was attractive enough to trade up for as opposed to you've yeah. got to make this happen, go get the guy. I don't know if I've dropped my Bo Nix official take yet. And, I mean, uh, get ready. It's it's, it's early coming, February. It's coming we've now. Got, I mean, we've got almost three months of, of this, so I will say this multiple times, I guess. I don't know. I'm getting stared at over here. I don't know if Bo Nix is going to be good or not. That's your take. No, I'm not done yet. Okay. But I don't think I'm the team that wants to find out. So I don't want to be the team to find out. Okay. You know, he does a lot of good stuff. Does that make him QB Tyree Wilson for you? No, Tyree Wilson was just straight no. The model said no. And I guess, I, I guess I'm say, saying something similar. Like there is a point where if Bo yeah. was available in the second round, right. I, would, I would do that. Tyree was just a straight no. <laughs> He's off the board. He's. You did have, you had. Where's the. Okay, uh, we had a. Where's my. The laminate sheet. I need my la laminated. Uh, we had an email board. in that I think goes along with this conversation of trading Great. back in the first round. I love that. Round. Getting the viewers involved here. This one from Miles Ray from Portland. Unspecified which Portland. Could be Portland, Maine. Could be Portland, Oregon. We don't know. Been to both. Played in both, actually. There you go. Uh, thanks so much for putting out a show every day. I'm usually ripping through this a few minutes after it gets posted. I think the consensus team building advice from the analytics community is invest in, in top-tier draft capital in the quarterback uh, in Start again. Invest top-tier draft capital in top-tier quarterback prospects. This has always felt wrong to me. Every team can use other lessons from analytics, be aggressive on fourth down, be smart in positional spending, and so on. But by definition, not every team can have a quarterback in a tier above the competition. Uh, in 2023, the team who most closely followed this advice was the Carolina Panthers, obviously trading up to number one to go get Bryce Young. Um, do you see their last 12 months as textbook cautionary tale against the aggressive quarterback drafting strategy, or why not? Is an actually more analytically savvy to evaluate if a team is getting value out of its quarterback investment? This year, Baker Mayfield, Geno Smith, Patrick Mahomes feel like some examples of teams getting surplus value at quarterback relative to the investment 
at all different levels of investment. Thanks for giving this a read. So, it's a good, yeah, I like this question a lot. I like yeah. the way it's framed. Same, because generally I, I think, I don't think you can criticize a team for going aggressively after trying to get a quarterback the way the Panthers did for Bryce Young, right? It's difficult to know how much of that situation, Bryce Young versus CJ Stroud, was environment, everything around them, or how much did they just pick the wrong guy, right? If they flipped it, if the pa Carolina Panthers got a CJ Stroud season out of Bryce Young and they'd made that move, everyone would be saying, great, great move. Yep. You went after your guy, you identified him, you went hard after him, you made the move, and you've turned the franchise around in one aggressive stroke. Um, now, this email, I guess, would make the point that the move is so aggressive, you almost prohibit that outcome by dismantling the things needed for the quarterback to be good in the first place. But I think it's, it is a good question that maybe we need to think more about simply the value of not even just the quarterback, but the quarterback plus the other side of the equation, right? In Carolina's case, it's Bryce Young and his contract versus the things you had to give up to get Bryce Young, which is DJ Moore and his contract, which is also multiple other rookie contracts for guys that should be. The player at nine. Right. This year's first round overall pick. Exactly. Which became first overall, of course. Which theoretically are going to be players that come in on a rookie contract making a contribution right. to your team. So, you know, somebody else suggested like, I, forget, I think this was in an email as well, it might have been a, a, a DM or something, but they were like, what if Chicago is actually better off um, keeping Justin Fields, trading out of number one, and then even if you have to give Fields the $50 million a year contract, the extra four or five rookie contracts you're picking up with that draft haul ends up offsetting the Caleb Williams deal. You know what I mean? So, yeah, a few things at play here. I think, I think again, I like the frame of the question. I want to answer the part about should you, should you just care about surplus value at the quarterback position? I think theoretically, yes, but if you could predict what you would get out of Geno Smith or what you would get out of Baker Mayfield, you would say, of course. But who could who could actually predict that? Other than like the biggest fans, our friend Greg Rosenthal is a big uh, Geno Smith fan. He would have predicted it. Right. Because he's a Geno Smith fan. Or, you know, whoever the best biggest Baker Mayfield fan is now after people have jumped off the wagon. If you could have predicted that, yes. If you could have predicted Patrick Mahomes, well he wouldn't have lasted to ten. Sure. Right? Everybody else would have taken him. So that's the part of it that is an issue that you're making these wagers, basically, that the payoff is is special. And if you miss, it is just like a fourth down decision. Like, if the Panthers miss on Bryce Young, I, you know, you, you make the trade up because it might increase your chances of hitting. But if you miss, it is detrimental. You know, the same way when the Lions miss on going for the fourth down, it does hurt more than if they had kicked, tried to kick a field goal or uh, punted or whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's... That's part of the factor. I do think there is a fair question. What's happening? Nothing. Tyler's just suggesting that I need some uh, vertical help in this shot. Oh, we're we back on location. We where need to get I'm, the phone books for you. Right. We don't have the adjustable chairs. Where I am being highlighted to Anybody be several Anybody have a phone book over here? Below you. On Radio Row? Mm. Uh, <laughs> Sam looks too short. This is great. Sit up, Sam. Stack a couple chairs, baby. So, oh. Anywho, do we think? Do we think the idea? So I think the question is actually more so around: Do you always make the aggressive move for the quarterback, or do you build the infrastructure first? I think that's 
that's like the, the that's the question that's hidden in this question. Yeah, the, but the other part of it is you also like the level that the quarterback is at that you're chasing is relevant as well, right? So it's not just value and surplus value. There was probably very few quarterbacks in the NFL that gave more surplus value relative to how much it cost than Baker Mayfield, right? I think his deal was for four million. He ended up getting six and a half because of the playoff run, et cetera. Six and a half million dollars for the level Baker Mayfield played at is great. You would still rather Josh Allen at his contract, right? Because the ceiling is higher. His capacity is higher. Okay, oh, it's costing you more, but you, you would rather that. If you got offered the choice, if someone had gone in and said, okay, the Baker thing's worked out great for you. I will offer you Josh Allen and his contract for Baker and his deal straight up right now. They would take it. Even Any surplus value conversation there doesn't matter like the on paper doesn't matter yeah because you the, the ceiling right. matters so yes. you can't just focus on getting the maximum surplus value out of the contract you also need the guy still needs to be good enough to that we can win a championship otherwise it's it's pointless i agree in 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 the bucks like you know the bucks might go through this offseason and they re-sign baker and all of a sudden he's making 30 million a year and mike evans gets re-signed and you're essentially trotting out a similar team next year and as, as fun as the season probably was for Bucks fans to kind of overachieve a little bit and, you know, you know, silence some doubters and make the final eight in the NFL, are you actually a top eight team going into next year if you're the Bucks? I mean, probably not. You know, so you, there's a point where the nice Baker Mayfield story or the nice Geno Smith story, like Seattle fans are already saying Geno Smith's not the guy. He's a good story. He's going to get us on the play, you know fringe playoff team we were playoff team one year just missed the second year like that might be that the ceiling and once that once the feels wear off you realize the ceiling's low and I don't I don't want to play that game so that's the issue I think with that so you're so you're always going to do so analytically we're kind of saying yeah chase the chase the ceiling because at some point you're going to sour on the mid-tier quarterback guy even if he is cheap I think I think one kind of overarching element, though, that might be a, a useful sort of change in direction or change in philosophy from what I think is a broadly correct interpretation of what people have been saying for a long time is you need to start looking more at what's on the other side of the balance sheet, right? Like that idea of do you, like Justin Fields' contract is about to be so high that you need to reset and start with Caleb Williams. But we don't know what the other side of that balance looks like, where if you get a trade and you go with Justin Fields, even if you have to re-up him at $50 million a year, if you get four, five new starters that are all on rookie contracts, that's probably a similar balance to quarterback on a rookie contract, yeah. but now you got to go veteran for the other players. I think there are, there are NBA comparisons here too. There are, I, I try to, I, I don't know the NBA a ton, but I know a little bit of how they try to do the team building stuff. And if they, a lot of what they're doing though is to facilitate a world where they can either get the elite player through free agency or through the draft. And if they can't do that, they just stack up assets. Right. Assets that are never gonna win championships, but can be pooled to go get the player, right? And I think the Bears, actually were kind of in that spot you know and, and you know they said hey Bryce Younger CJ Stroud isn't going to be the guy for us but we're going to stack up assets and that includes DJ Moore that includes you know Darnell Wright that includes this year's number one overall pick so if the question specifically for the Bears should they do that again right should they trade down take QB2 QB3 QB4 and add up four more rookie contracts flip another first rounder to next year whatever it might be 
I don't know if that's the right play. I think they've I think they're now in striking distance for that potential grand slam for Caleb Williams. So you have to strike. They put themselves in great position. But I think it's also fair when we said last year, hey, they should draft Bryce Young and then and keep Justin Fields and let them compete. I think it's fair to criticize that line of thinking and say that's you don't have to don't just draft a million quarterbacks. Don't just do that. Keep getting good pieces, good pieces, good pieces. And then when you're in Caleb Williams striking distance, you have to you have to do that. You have to go get him. So I will say maybe we were wrong last year saying, hey, draft Bryce Young and bring in Justin Fields. The Bears have – and I didn't hate what the Bears did. It was fine. Right. Um, but they've put themselves in a great position here, obviously, to have Williams plus DJ Moore and everything else that they've added. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to go back to the mock draft here? Yeah. Does that, does that answer the question in uh, I think so. the long-winded, winding way that we do here on the yeah. PFF NFL podcast? That's how we do it. Um, other things that stood out here in this well, mock. Well, there's another really obvious one. Go ahead. I mean, we had Jaden Daniels and then Drake May sort of sliding slightly. We also have Fuaga as the number one offensive tackle off the board. He goes to the Giants at number six, and – and then the Titan, the, then the next tackle is the next pick. Titans at seven, Joe Alt. So Fawaga over Joe Alt. Now, how much of that is just shoehorning a fit at right tackle specifically because Evan Neal, because of Evan Neal has and struggled you, and because Andrew Thomas is great at left tackle? I think there's probably some of that in the mock here. And again, Lance is a, you know, his dad was an NFL offensive line coach. Like he is um, as plugged in as far as O line evaluations go, and he's, and he's good at that. So, I do, again, I don't know if this is Lance saying, I love Fuaga so much, right. I want to say he's OT1. Because, again, like people try to make statements with their mock drafts and say, this is my top tackle. I think the NFL is going to agree and take him first. Or if he's just saying, yeah, it's a fit thing. Titans need a left tackle. We're going to give Joe Alta them at seven. Whereas Fuaga played right tackle, and Evan Neal has struggled a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's doing this, but it, chasing a right tackle specifically because that's the spot you need help with, feels like bad process yeah. to me. I mean, we there's a debate as to, you know, left versus right, how much can you just swap them over, and some guys I'm sure can't, but I think generally the opinion is if you take a tackle in the draft and you flip him over day one, that's not going to be the reason he's he sinks or swims, right? Yeah. And if you think that Joe Alt is the best tackle in this draft, you shouldn't be taking somebody else because you need a right tackle specifically. And we've seen, we've we've gone past the idea that left tackles were valuable and right tackle, right. I think, generally. Um, but even with a Panay Sewell, who is the quintessential left tackle. Yeah. And the Lions drafted him and just put him on the right side, and he's become the best right tackle. And it didn't look NFL, good in preseason, but, yeah. but it, 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 he's, yeah. now like, he's now arguably the best right tackle in the game. And he's not the best right tackle because he does right tackle type of things, necessarily. He's just a really good tackle right. who happens to play on the right side. Um, Alt at seven, though, I think would be... I think that'd be a home run for the Titans. Oh yeah, given their needs. Again, like that—that's the—that's their equivalent of the Falcons thing on this, yeah. right? Like if this, the draft unfolded this way for them, for the, for for this to be the second tackle taken in the draft and them still get Joe Alt, I think would be a home run for them. Uh, Chicago Bears get Malik Neighbors at nine, so you get that Caleb Williams Malik Neighbors combination. Remember last year at this time we were trying to pair. We did a lot of C.J. Stroud at two right. to Houston and pairing him with a receiver at uh, twelve. I think it was that yeah. they had and um, didn't necessarily work out that way in the in in last year's draft for Houston because they traded up and they ended up getting Will Anderson. And they brought in Tank Dell, in the and they, but round. they did eventually bring in Tank Dell. But I think that's a pretty common play here, mock draft wise. Bears getting Caleb Williams and then a weapon. 
at nine. Yeah, and Neighbors being the third wide receiver off the board because Odunze went at number four to uh, wash uh, to Arizona in this case. The so, other, the other just keys. Do you have anything else? No, just that that that's another one of those sort of critical positional ranking conversations in this whole draft. Who is wide receiver two after the consensus number one of Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, so the other place I get, that, again, I think is a really pivotal spot in the draft is 11-12-13. Minnesota Vikings at 11, Denver Broncos at 12, Las Vegas Raiders at 13. All teams that need quarterbacks. All teams that um, I think a lot of teams have been rumored to trade up for quarterbacks. Um, but the Vi in this particular mock draft, we get the Vikings going Jared Verse, the uh, edge defender out of Florida State at 11. I didn't realize until I heard the other day the last time they drafted a first-round edge was Erasmus James? They had a run. They had a run of catastrophic first-round edge rusher drafts and then eventually went to hell with this, sent yeah. two first-round picks to Kansas City Give me all the for corners. Jared they Allen. They drafted all the corners, our friend Rick Spielman. Yeah, but right? they went. They had a bunch of them. They just, they just couldn't solve the edge rusher problem with first-round guys. Erasmus James, Kenechi Adezi, they drafted, and eventually they just went, send Kansas City whatever they need to get Jared Allen. That, <laughs> that'll do all it. The picks. Um, then the Broncos go J.J. McCarthy at, at pick number 12. So I mentioned earlier, Bo Nix doesn't go till pick 30. And J.J. McCarthy is the fourth quarterback off the draft, uh, off the board yep. in this draft at pick number 12 to the Denver Broncos. And then the Las Vegas Raiders go defensive lineman Byron Murphy out of Texas. But J.J. McCarthy going at 12 to Denver. I think McCarthy is a tough evaluation because it was such a run-heavy scheme. There were games where he threw the ball 10 times, 12 times. And then going to Sean Payton in Denver as a guy with a, you know, a, not a pure toolsy quarterback. He's not huge. He's not a big guy, but he's got a pretty good arm. He's very athletic, J.J. McCarthy. Intriguing fit, I think, for uh, Sean Payton offense. Yeah. Did you see uh, Jim Harbaugh? Should be uh, the first quarterback off the board. I heard that. I.e. the number one overall pick. It's not the first time he said that. No. I think he said it generally during the season yeah. at some point, and now he's saying it as the Chargers head coach. Yes. By the way. Now, I don't think Harbaugh would say, because the Chargers have – the number five overall pick i don't think harbaugh would say let's go get him right Trade i mean i don't Herbert. think for a second that he actually means it and even if he did i don't think it means that he is anything other than sort of tainted by the loyalty of having coached him but it does like if you take him at his word that he believes jj mccarthy is the number one player in this entire draft it does kind of raise those interesting questions of if you thought he was a sort of generational best qb in this draft prospect you're why, were you, why were you running four tight ends? Well, forget that. But you're high enough in this draft that you could make a run at it and you have a pretty enticing, you know, trade bait in the guy that you have already given the contract I'm, to. I'm going to say that Jim Harbaugh is making that statement somewhat in a vacuum. Agreed. And, and to just, just trying to make the point that I love this kid. Yeah, he's and he's awesome. just trying, even if yeah. he's being cynical about it, he's just trying to yeah. boost the prospect of the guy that he coached. Like, there's I nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I don't think Jim Harbaugh but is saying. But if you did, like, if you did take him at his word and think he, like, he means it, I mean, it would not, it I raises. I mean, he'll be there some, at five. Right, it you raises some to. interesting questions. Yeah, I don't think that's Jim Harbaugh saying, I've evaluated all the quarterbacks. I've seen Caleb Williams. I've seen Drake May, right. Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, and J.J. is, the is best. better than all of them. I don't and, think that's what he's and saying. And he's better than the guy I have right now. That's all we do here is interpret the statements without overreacting to them on the PFF NFL podcast. Mm -hmm. um, 
getting into the mid-teens, uh, Brock Bowers with the Indianapolis Colts at 15. That's the lowest I think I've seen him in a while. Like, it is. And, and it makes sense just because yeah. of the position and because of the history of uh, Kyle Pitts and how that didn't necessarily work out. It feels like we all want to put him in the top five or whatever just because of how good he is, but if he slipped to 15, it, would, it wouldn't shock people. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit maybe of a Kyle Hamilton type of situation where you can look at Hamilton and say he's an awesome football player. I think he's going to be a great NFL player, but he's a, but he's a safety. He also ran slow at the Combine. And then Hamilton goes at, what, 13 to the Ravens and ends up becoming one of the best players in the draft, 13 or 14. But, but isn't that the classic example? Like we were asking at the time with Kyle, James. With Kyle Hamilton in yeah. particular, is he special enough that you throw out the rules of position value and where do you take him? And, and, it, and teams didn't. They let him fall to the Ravens, right? Middle of the first round. We were saying, should he be the number two overall pick? If he had been and he's turned into the player he is right now, it wouldn't look crazy. So yeah. is Bowers the same case? Like, is he special enough again? Like, the problem is you've got the Kyle Pitts recent history of that specific position. But that, I think, should be the, the, the debate again. Like, is he special enough that we junk the rules? And I know we pick on this guy a lot. And the answer to that might be but, no, but... but Here's my question. Would you rather have Kyle Hamilton or Trayvon Walker, who did go number one overall to Jacksonville? Now, you could say, I would take Aiden Hutchinson over yeah. Kyle Hamilton, certainly, but there's not a whole lot of players in the first round. A.J. Brown, I always said, is the, it was the best pick in the first round, the best right. selection that any team came away with. But there's not more than three or four players that you would take over Kyle Hamilton in the right. first round. So Bowers could be interesting there, too, because you've got the few things working against him undersized relative to other tight ends does he block enough um, tight end generally takes time to develop the most recent quote-unquote generational tight end was Kyle Pitts yeah haven't gotten the most out of him we'll see if Atlanta you know changes how they use him or what the production looks like there and Pitts is he's at that he's at a thousand yard receiver but season but it doesn't feel like hey the fourth overall pick especially when Jamar Chase was picked right after him and essentially plays the same position that Pitts has been playing. I think the answer to these questions can can always be no on the basis that chasing exceptions is probably bad process and not what you want to be doing. But I think we should be asking them for guys like Bowers, right? And we should have been asking them we were for guys like Kyle Hamilton. And maybe the answer to that one was yes. But I, I think it would be a mistake to just let him fall to the middle of the first round without asking that question because of Kyle Pitts and because he's a tight end. We should be saying, this guy's resume is insane. His ability is spectacular. Should, give, me, give me the good reason why he's not a top five draft pick, right? Tell me a, any reason why this draft does not go QB, QB, either wide receiver or QB, and then Bowers. Like, that should be the question we're asking. Even if the answer is, he's a tight end, he's probably not the unicorn, We'll get him 10 picks later. Intriguing playmaker, though, if he does fall to 15 to the Indianapolis Colts. I, I wanted to highlight uh, Liatu Latu from the New Orleans Saints, or to the New, Orleans, the New Orleans Saints at 14. Latu also feels like, man, if I get him at 14, I'm feeling pretty good Love it. about that. I think you and I are going to be high on him as we get into, our, into ranking season in the coming weeks. Um, I want to take a, a minute here to reset because um, Zach – social media guy over here we want we want to talk about mike mcdonald yeah and the seattle seahawks mm -hmm. so we're going to roll that into right now because the seahawks pick at 16 and a lot of seahawks fans are looking to these edge defenders jared verse from florida state he's off the board in this mock but could be available there dallas turner from alabama latu could be available there but mike mcdonald 
We haven't discussed him being the new head coach in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Your initial thoughts on McDonald there, and then maybe what Seattle could do with that pick at 16. I like the hiring. Um, I think you know, we talked a lot this season about how good Mike McDonald's defense has been um, in Baltimore. They've had probably the best pass defense in the NFL. Overall defense has been very good. It is running. The Vic Fangio scheme was really in vogue. Maybe it's going out right now, and the one that's coming in is the one that Mike McDonald is running. Um, it's the right defense to be capturing, and I think it's the right style of hire to move on from a guy like uh, Pete Carroll with, right? We can debate whether that was a fair move or not, deciding, because it sounds like that was a lot more uh, not mutual <laughs> than it sounded when they were announcing it, right? Yeah, the, the Seahawks and Pete Carroll have mutually decided to go in a different direction. He's going to move upstairs. Everybody's happy about it. It's going to be great, right? It sounds like the longer this goes, it was more ownership decided, hey, Pete, thanks for the hard work, but we're going to go in a different direction now. Would you like it to look good, or should we just get rid of you, you know? And they sort of gone for some sort of publicity appealing way of announcing it. I, I sense you leaving PFF some like, like that someday. We'll just uh, mutually yeah. part ways, Sam. Or will you we, won't get yeah. fired. No. Um, or, so, but if you're going to do that, you're, you're now in the reality. We're moving on from a legend, a guy that's you know, done so much for the team, won championships, put us in the, the position to be successful. Who do you try and move on from that with? I, I feel like it's tougher to say Mike Vrabel. Good luck following that. Or even Bill Belichick, right? Or whatever. Like the, the veteran retread. I think if you're going to try and go in that direction, the easiest sell is who's a hot, young coaching hire. And if they specialize on the defensive side of the ball, the thing we're known for, all the better. Do you have a way that you would characterize the Mike McDonald, the Ravens defense? Because it's not just that. It's the Ravens and the Michigan scheme. Yeah. Um, and I don't... I'll let you, if you want to characterize the scheme in a second, the way I would characterize the rosters for both Baltimore and Michigan, even if you just look at, like, the PFF grades, it's just solid green across the board. The Ravens were just really good, top to bottom, a good defensive line, edges and interior, good linebackers, uh, you know, good safeties, solid corners. They were good, and Michigan's defense was the right self. Michigan's defense was pretty much the same. No real stars. Uh, self reminds me, he's a Michigan man over here. 15-0 mm. and 0 they went this year, Michigan. So they were just, like, who were the stars? They were just solid across the board. But schematically, how would you classify what's, what's going to Seattle right now? Yeah, I mean, it's aggressive. I think they're good at um, creating pressure, not necessarily just by front four, not necessarily with the blitz, but with a combination of uh, misdirection, of disguise, of um, simulated pressure, creeper pressure, like all these things to make it difficult to identify exactly what they're going to do and confuse offenses. Like we're in the world where now the thing that has the most success in the NFL, I think on the defensive side of things is some version of disguise, whether it's rotating safeties, whether it's changing the look pre and post snap in the back seven, or whether it's doing it up front as well with pressure looks. And we saw that a lot with Brian Flores in Minnesota. It was a different way of doing it. He would just stack the line with a bunch of guys. Sometimes they'd come, sometimes they'd all drop off. You right. wouldn't know which. But that ability to put an offense on the back foot with what you were doing on defense and actually recapture, reclaim the impetus and the, the, the front foot and all this, I think is, is the way the defense is going right now. So that's one of the interesting things I think about Seattle at 16 and I think a lot of Seahawks fans talking about these edge defenders who could be available there. And again, Lance Erline going Dallas Turner in this mock. 
the Ravens team building effort over the last few years, they have not really emphasized edge rusher. It doesn't mean that they haven't, you know, drafted an Odafe Owe in the first round right. or they haven't, um, you know, put some resources to there. But the Ravens have done a lot of back-to-front type of team building. Um, I think they made a pretty calculated move to go get Roquan Smith in the middle of the 2022 season, and he was a huge part of that defense getting better and better. So um, I don't know if Seattle's going to go the edge route here, if they're going to go with – if McDonald's going to carry over. Was that a – team building philosophy from the Ravens from the front office or was that a, a defense building philosophy because if you're if you're creating more one-on-ones if you're creating more indecision from the offense you're not necessarily uh, dependent on the guy that wins one-on-one all the time yeah and the player the individual that I'm most excited from the Seahawks point of view to be in this defense is Devin Witherspoon I mean we already saw what he did as a rookie um, they used him a lot blitzing from the slot. They, they used him aggressively, creatively. I can't wait to see Witherspoon in this defense. I know he already name-dropped Witherspoon as a guy he was particularly excited to coach. We talked about, you know, they did a lot of Everybody work scouting him. Yeah. Right, they did a lot of work scouting him, and now he gets to put him in this defense and see uh, what it can do. Um, so draft-wise with Seattle, um, I mean, I would take a Jared Verse if he was there. I would look at those those edge rushers, even if they're not emphasized in that scheme. It might that might just be where the value is in this draft, depending on how the the board ends up following. I think uh, um, you know there's some corners that could be available there, but they've really loaded up a corner the last couple of years with Witherspoon, um, you know, with Tariq Woolen. And they've Marie. struggled to get that defensive identity back in a post Legion of Boom landscape, right? They they got better, but they never really recaptured that magic as a, a true strength and identity of the team I think this is a good a good way of trying to get that back as a as a team as a franchise all right rest of this mock draft here by Lance Erline I think uh, Olu Fashnu going to the Cincinnati Bengals at pick 18 people are souring on him and I don't really get it I'm surprised I thought I thought I was going to be the one souring on him because I was going to say the run blocking is not great but he's unbelievable from a pass pro standpoint footwork technique he's still really young and has room to develop I am I am surprised I think when I went into predict when I was trying to predict people's reaction here I thought they were going to love him yeah lock him into the top 10 pass pro that's all you need um, but yeah he's ended up more in mid first for a lot like of if I told you going forward he'll have a 10-year NFL career he will never be good as a run blocker would you care Based um, off what I've seen from his pass protection, if you told me that as a given, I would still take him in the top 10. So the comp I was using for him is Laramie Tunsil, who has become one of the best pass blockers in the NFL. Right. And his run you know, his run blocking is good, not great. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when we used to classify Joe Thomas, we would say he's a good run blocker. He's not known for that necessarily. Yeah. Joe Thomas is probably better than Tunsil. Tunsil's probably better than Foshnu. Um And I'm not saying Foshnu's exactly Tunsil or exa- certainly not Joe Thomas, but you're talking about a guy who has the tools, has the ability to be a top three to five pass protecting left tackle in the NFL. So yeah, I think I would, I would be happy with that. If I'm the Bengals, I would absolutely. Oh, be if happy you're the Bengals, that. ecstatic. Now I don't know what they do if they move Orlando right. Brown back to right tackle and upset him, but either way, you've got a guy that can help Joe Burrow. Right, but like, Fashnu is one of the best three pass blocking tackles I can think of coming into the draft. Right, the three that jumped to mind since. I don't know how far you got to go back, but it's him, Tyron Smith, and uh, Joe Thomas. In terms of footwork, ability to move, ability to mirror, his technique from a pass-blocking standpoint, like those are the three 
gold standards as prospects in the last, whatever that is, 15 years. If he's at that level, then I don't care if he's never a good run blocker. Like, that's worth, it's worth a top 10 pick easily. I, I'm kind of surprised. I can get maybe thinking that Joe Alt is a better, you know, all-around package and a, a guy that we want to roll with because of what he can do, particularly for certain offenses. But, like, if we're dropping Fashnu into the lower half of the first round, I think that's overkill. I'm going to let you look through the mock and see if there's anything else that stands out to you, I think, as we get toward the end. But um, Lance is not in on your Jackson Powers Johnson to, to Pittsburgh idea. He does have JPJ going to the Arizona Cardinals at pick 27. That's the pick that they got from the Houston Texans uh, to shore up the center position. Interesting one, though, is the Steelers taking Amarius Mims, the tackle out of Georgia, would be back-to-back years where the Steelers take a Georgia tackle, pair Mims with Broderick Jones, and I think that would be a smart move, right? I mean, they, they had to replace, um, you know, both, both tackles were a weakness coming into the season. I think Broderick Jones stepped in, upgraded right tackle, have Mims take over for Dan Moore at left tackle, and boom, the Steelers uh, would improve their tackle situation or their offensive line situation with Mims. So I don't hate that as a pick that stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, in order to get to, you know, his Hall of Fame trajectory, he needs to be drafted by the it Steelers. It has to be the Steelers. Yeah. So that's first round centers are automatic Hall of Famers in Pittsburgh. Um, I guess some of the interesting things that jump out to me are the wide receivers in the rest of the first round. Um, He has, so there's a gap after that initial run of receivers, right? Uh, Is there another one at all until the, towards the bottom? Brian Thomas at 28. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, it jumps all the way from neighbors at nine to Brian Thomas, his LSU teammate at 28. I have to say, I've gone through, I've done quite a lot of work on the wide receivers. Brian Thomas was the one like big name consensus kind of guy that everyone's high on that I did not like particularly at all. So, and I, there's enough people I've seen since that that really like him that I want to take another run through that just to check myself. But him being at 28 to the Buffalo Bills, so it's a good fit in terms of receiver needy team. And then number 31, Roman Wilson, the Michigan receiver senior ball standout that we talked about getting himself into the first round and going to Kansas City. Just watched a lot of Roman Wilson the other day. Saw him at the Senior Bowl last week. Him, so we'll talk about him at 31 to the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs pairing a receiver with them makes a lot of sense. Um, And then Darius Robinson, the defensive lineman out of Missouri, goes to the Lions at 29. Those are two picks. Again, I don't know Lance's uh, reasoning. If it's, I legitimately saw these guys at the Senior Bowl and they stood out and they were awesome. I think they're going first round now. Or if we're just trying to make a point, they were two of the best players at the Senior Bowl. This is where they could be, but um, Roman Wilson, I, you know, I think he had been looked at as a second rounder at best yeah. previously, more of a third round type of guy. Um, him going to the first round of the Chiefs, outstanding route runner. That would be uh, a good fit. In yeah, I mean, it's a nice fit. It's just fascinating to me. So that means five wide receivers in the first round in his mock, and two of them are Brian Thomas and Roman Wilson, which leaves a lot of sort of big names out of that first round that people are putting in there regularly at the moment. It does. And then with Darius Robinson, he's a guy that's played uh, defensive, interior defensive line the majority of his career at Missouri, played outside. He did have one of the better senior bowls. You know, I, I, I honestly don't always trust other people's eyes and reactions. Sure. In part because, as we've said at the senior bowl, you don't get to see everything. Sometimes you miss some reps. It's impossible to see everything. But Darius Robinson, I think the consensus was correct yeah. on this. Snap for snap, really a dominant senior bowl. He's... He's massive. He's really big for an edge rusher, right? He's 285 with with incredible length and power. 
Um, so my mom, my mom wants to know when the podcast is starting. Yeah. I only checked it because, you know, if my mom texts me, it's like, right. Hope something serious isn't going on here. Yeah. And then I read it. It's like, text us when you're going to start. She's mad that we're starting late here I know. today. I apologize. Mom. Her and everybody else. Just a late start to the podcast here, you know, because we can't go live. Sorry to finish the th- Darius Robinson thought though. He's going to be one to keep an eye on because the senior bowl was special great length and movement skills and the whole deal has been pretty good from a production standpoint but he's kind of he's got a tweener body tweener style but boy that that senior bowl reminded me a little bit of jermaine johnson senior bowl uh jets edge rusher yeah. who had uh really limited good. college production but was really unblockable at the senior bowl and eventually that did you know translate to the nfl yeah really good at the senior bowl and particularly against the run like he was dominating all week again in those run drills um so yeah if, uh, he's a guy i think that's put himself in the first round um anything else you want to talk about mock draft wise we had tyler guyton we've a guy that we've talked about a bunch goes 25 to the green bay packers another to me he's a developmental type prospect because he's got such limited experience limited production at least by uh, pff standards but uh, all the tools. I mean, he's like a, he's a Fashnu type as far as uh, what he can do, what you see. But Fashnu's still more advanced, I think, from a pass pro standpoint. So them two kind of, I don't know if they're going to start converging in mock drafts, right? Fashnu and, and Guyton here. Yeah, and uh, a decent run in cornerbacks in the draft. So what do we got? Four, four, five. Uh, five corners, I think, go in this first round as well. Um, starting with the guy that I think is starting to emerge, maybe, as the number one consensus corner, Taryn Arnold, the Alabama corner. More and more people I see now are having him as the consensus number one guy. Uh, he goes at number eight to the Los Angeles Chargers after that trade. Uh, then the next corner off the board is your guy, Quinya Mitchell, at 17 to the Jags. If there's a there's an alternative to Arnold as a number one corner. I think Mitchell is putting himself in that category. He had a strong senior bowl as well. 19 is the little corner run. The Rams getting Nate Wiggins, the Clemson uh, corner. Kool-Aid McKinnistry, 22 to the Philadelphia Eagles, who absolutely need a new injection of, of youth at corner. Uh, and then 26 with Rake Straw Jr. from Missouri going to the Bucks. Uh, that was the final one, right? So a yes. decent run of corners in the first round as the, well. The Eagles taking a corner. They're one of the teams I've mocked corners to them a lot through the years, and the fans get they get very mad. Yeah, they're like, Howie's not gonna do that. Howie, and you know, Howie's track track record is very much we're taking the trench players. We're taking O line, D line. That's what we do. I do wonder if this is a year where they do. They're gonna do a little bit of free agency, maybe, but if they do go for the youth movement because of how quickly. James Bradbury seemed to age, and then just the fact that Slay is getting a little bit Slay. older as well. It's just, just Slay. Just one name. Tariko said it's just Slay during that playoff matchup yeah. or whatever. Whenever they had their the game. people though, they will shout at you that you know they've got they've got the re- the replacements ready made. You know Eli Ricks is going to get a year older, a year better. He's going to step Everybody's in. Getting He's going to be the guy. Um, Keely Ringo, right? We're just preparing for what the people. Big are talent. Say big prototypical corner he's going to be the guy next year you know okay yes maybe that's the world that happens the eli ricks and keely keely ringo step in and they're your new bradbury and slay and they're going to take you to the super bowl alternatively you might need more new young corners to come in all right there's one more thing we need to touch on today yeah i think we hit on everything what's in the title do we we talked mike mcdonald we did the mock and we talked drake may we covered everything mike vrabel the amount of bias 
that a large human being has to deal with around today's NFL. It's I just, was I was about to ask, are we covering this because you are unusually sensitive to bigism as I a mean, large I'm human? I'm over here. I mean, why why even have a draft model that's going to double your draft hit rate? Why even have this if if Mike Vrabel, who's smaller than me, is is be the word around the league is that he's too big. He's just too big and strong and intimidating for these little owners to deal with. He's just too intimidating. So for anybody, well, what does that do? Like, what does that say for people like me that are trying to <laughs> trying to get into the GM door here? Let's get to that in a minute. For for people that don't know, <laughs> let's get to that in a minute. Um, what the hell are you talking about? What are we talking about? Yeah. Set it up. You tell me. I just asked you. You're on the rent. What are we? What the hell Diana are you on about? Diana Rossini. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna quote her directly because I don't have it right in front of me. You can find it if you want. Diana okay. Rossini. Dying to get on the podcast, by the way. We'll, we'll oh, yeah? talk to Diana at some point. Cool. Hopefully, we'll see. Diana reported from the Senior Bowl that um, some GM. You know, she was asking about Vrabel, and some GM basically said, "Do you have the quote exactly?" So uh, there's two, right? She followed up. Uh, an anonymous GM tells Diana Rossini that Vrabel's physical stature may have been a factor. Quote, he's a very large human being and can be very intimidating to people in an organization. She then quote tweeted that. That was from The Athletic, who was, you know, turning this into to social media fodder. And she says, I absolutely laughed at the notion. But the GM followed up by saying, quote, I'm just telling you, I've been in rooms and somebody's physical presence can make a difference. End quote. Thoughts, large human. It's just not kind. It's not nice. <laughs> it's not nice. You have to admit, though, as an unusually large human, that it is a thing. I mean, you have a presence to you that certain people so, find unusually intimidating. Now, I'm not one of them. Right, but you, as you've said, like I don't use that enough. So maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm okay. Maybe, like Mike Vrabel isn't intimidating. Maybe he guy. does. I mean, you we know? were at, we were at Titans camp. There was uh, there was a brawl, yeah. And there were in were you there or I was there that day, right? There was a brawl, and there's helmets flying or whatever. And Mike Vrabel just jumps in the middle of it. Right. I'm gonna break this up. I might start throwing some blows too. You know, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens. See how mad I am. I don't do that. <laughs> might slap some fools while yeah. I'm at it. I don't care if you're flying if the helmets are right. flying around here and I don't have one on. We're we're doing this. So yeah, I mean he's probably more intimidating than me, but I'm I mean, bigger than him. Yeah, you are. But I think it's it's a it sounds ridiculous, right? And it should be ridiculous. But there are definitely individuals out there in the world who are unusually intimidated by exceptionally large people. We know some of them, right? I have remarked on it repeatedly for the last several years. We have coworkers, right? There are certain maybe. people that find you unusually scary. It's never the right people, though. I'm not. No, it's never I know. The people it's not, that you know. Right. It's not helping you, but you know, pay the bills or anything. You know, it's but never they the right exist, people that are right? intimidated. I don't find you physically intimidating but certain people do and yeah. if one of those people is running an nfl team you're not getting the gm gig they're going to take yeah. one look at you and they go i'm not letting big goofy sit in a room opposite me and intimidate me over a draft decision i just feel like not my, letting potential, it happen. my potential gm options just got cut in half a third a quarter i don't know it got reduced who are the biggest owners in the nfl i gotta <laughs> figure out who's going to be like least intimidated here. yeah i don't know there, there aren't i don't anybody know anybody any Ursay wouldn't be intimidated. There aren't that many giant owners. I don't think size is your thing, Tepper right? wouldn't be intimidated. Like, He'd just be chucking water at me Like, or for example, there's not a chance He's in mad. hell, there's not a chance in hell that Jerry Jones is concerned by your size. No. Right? No, Jerry's seen some stuff through right, the years. Exactly. He's not, he's not Jerry doesn't care that you're a giant human. David Tepper probably doesn't care that you're a giant human. 
Yeah. They got bigger fish to fry. Definitely They've got other guys. things to deal with. They wholeheartedly believe that they can ruin your life and, and extinguish you. True. If you yeah. get if you overstep the boundaries, yeah. right? I mean, that's the thing. Why would you be intimidated? You're, you, you, Ball's in your court, man. But, there are, but there, there are owners. I don't know how many. There's 32 NFL owners. I don't know what the number is that would find you and Vrabel intimidating. <laughs> but a, I, I believe it's a thing. Well, let us know if you think uh, this, this is going to hinder my chances of getting that GM job, which we're working hard to get here while we're at right. the you know, network and but to senior be clear, Bowl, Super Bowl, you know? To be clear, lest I get you know, implicated in this sizeism, I believe it's silly. But Thank I do you. believe it's real. Silly, but Silly, real. but real. So Diane is not just making stuff up from the sideline of the Senior Bowl. This is real Certainly stuff. Certainly not when it comes to this story. Who knows what else she's been saying. I can't vouch for everything she's she tweeted. She said it. So it's an unnamed current GM. It's one of the 32. Yes. So at least one of these people is in that category. I believe there's probably more than one. But I don't know how many. Man. All right. Well, that's the week here. That's the news from the week. Man, um, other news, really... we got free wings every day from 11 in, at, at 11 and 2. I can see it's really oh. bummed you out as a huge human. Yeah, I'm upset, but I'm going to go eat some more wings to get even bigger. <laughs> you did crush Free a, wings, it's free wing you time. You crushed a total body workout we this morning, We got six though. minutes between now and doing Bob Sturm, over, uh, the, doing the show in Dallas. Let's see how many wings you can house go, in six minutes? We've got to go get some wings. All right. They're, they're, uh, they're free again. I can go do that. You guys can get 30% off uh, PFF subscriptions. PFF, uh, the promo code's 30 MDS, 30 MDS, 30 MDS, 30% off your PFF subscription right now over at PFF.com. I, I, I just want to leave with this closing thought. I was on the Jim Rome show earlier today, wow. and I, I don't want to drop Name names drop. except Name for dropping. a reason. If you have noticed that I have a different color complexion or that there's a slight less shine on my head than there normally is, it's because the lady at the Jim Rome show came up and asked me <laughs> if I wanted makeup before I went on the show. I told her that that was more of a question for her to answer than for me, and she looked at me and said, maybe we'll just take the shine off your head, you know? And at that point, <laughs> you don't yes. really have an option. Yes, You're I like, will take it. Do what you need to do, I'm here for you. So if I don't have that much shine, or if my head is unusually orange, it's because a very nice lady with makeup decided I needed to take the shine off my head before I went on their air. Wow. I love that, that's good. I appreciate you bringing that information to the forefront here mm -hmm. for our listeners. Yeah that the, uh, the shine is gone. Hey, look, there's Warren Sharp. Good for Warren. We did a little fist bump earlier today. Yeah. Us and Warren. Can we go try and get a wing? Yeah, let's go get some wings. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in. This is your Tuesday show. We'll be back again at some point tomorrow on Wednesday and then Thursday show live-ish from Circa. <laughs> Come meet us at Circa tomorrow, 4 p.m. Pacific, as we record Thursday show. All right, guys, we'll see you again tomorrow.